Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Okay, we're starting today with the riddle. What's black and white and red all over? Okay, I'm going to tell you the answer. It's most of the Victorian-era costumes that today's guest, Eric McCormick, wears in the fifth season of the horror anthology show, Slasher Ripper. New episodes air every Thursday on AMC Plus and streaming on Shudder. Eric is a star of stage and screen and has appeared in series like Perception and Travelers, to name just a few, but of course is best known for playing Will Truman for 11, God, that's a long time, <laughs> seasons on NBC's groundbreaking hit comedy, Will and Grace. So, without further ado, please welcome to Group Text the star of the very terrifying show, Eric McCormick. Good morning, good afternoon, I don't even know where we are anymore. <laughs> My father used to tell that uh, red, black and white, red all over joke, and it was all his, his his funny answer was a nun falling down the stairs. I don't know. Oh yeah, there's a million answers, but I gotta say, before I go any further, you are Canadian by birth, and I want to point out that terrifying and Canadian is an oxymoron. It's true. We we generally tend to uh, to lack a terrifying quality, uh, which we're relatively proud of, and then we apologize for how proud we are. It, it, exactly, but it's you, Ryan Reynolds, talented, smart, attractive men. You, Ryan Reynolds, and Martin Short, of course. And Martin Short, um, Ryan Gosling. Um, <laughs> yes, we we come from good, hearty Canadian stock, and uh, and then we just threw the hardiness away and became actors. So you became an American citizen. Yeah. Now I gotta ask, was it? That you and Ryan Reynolds, I mean, couldn't you have both stayed on a work visa all these years? I mean, I mean we're we're dual citizens. Um, that that's the nice reciprocity here. We don't. I'm I'm a citizen of both countries. I would never have given up my Canadian citizenship, but I could gain my American one in order to vote, uh, which is everything. So um, I I was campaigning for Al Gore before when I was still just out on green card, and I thought this makes no sense. Who's going to listen to me if I? If I can't put my money where my mouth is, so uh, became a citizen. And you know, I think it was ninety nine. It was one year into into Will and Grace. Well, I, I'm, I, there's a joke there, of course, which, was, which is I was campaigning for Al Gore before it was cool to campaign for Al Gore. It was, so I was just hitting the cool at the at the time. Um, it was it, we were I few who was it Jesse L. Martin and myself and a few other people were were going to other cities. But um, well, we we all know how that went. Yes, we do. Um, you literally just turned 60 on April 18th. Happy belated birthday. So as a friend pointed out to me, do you realize if you were still playing Will, I believe you would now be called what the boys like to call a zaddy. I know. I just learned this expression. I I just gotten used to the possibility that maybe I was a daddy and now I've missed it. I've, I've, it's <laughs> but we'll get to Will and Grace later on. First, I want to talk about Ripper. Yeah. Okay. Flasher. Wow. Flasher Ripper. It's uh, for those that haven't heard it. I I had didn't know the show. And there's four seasons of it. All of them great. Um, all of them separate. You don't have to watch the first four seasons necessarily because each uh season is different. This one is called Ripper because it has a Jack the Ripper feel. It takes place at the turn of the century, and it is a gothic. Horror. I, I feel like it's if if Tarantino did a turn of the century gothic horror, that it would be this. 
I, I can agree with you. You play Basil Garvey, who is a rich and powerful businessman with a dark past who controls the Victorian era Toronto underworld. Now, I'm going to go that this is very much against type for you. So what drew you to this role? Because this, you know, when you think Eric McCormick, you don't think, you know, right. covered in blood. The I will say true. Um, be, <laughs> but be, I've been so many years in in uh, a Shakespeare company and in drama before I was 35 when I got Will Truman. So this, in fact, the role I had when I met my wife just before Will and Grace was a similar role, except it was on a Western. It was uh, on Lonesome Dove and I played Colonel Clay Mosby, and he was a bastard, particularly in the second season. He was kind of like a young Basil Garvey. Uh, <laughs> so it, in a strange way for me and for the few people that, that knew me from that role, uh, this is kind of coming full circle. And I just, it's so much fun. I mean, I don't really love playing horribly violent men, but to play men who have uh, have seized power and um, ab abused their power particularly at this particular time in in uh, history is is a fascinating it's a fascinating thing i mean from a, a, at one point, part this is just fun i mean i had so much fun playing a total asshole but the other part was i'm having to come to grips with the fact that there are guys like this out there and we elect them <laughs> I oh i love that i love that you said that um so you also have a potty mouth on the show and I don't think I can't remember that we've ever heard you swear let alone drop the number of F-bombs yeah. um, was that hard for you to do or do those sort of things just roll off the tip of your tongue like in my family oh god <laughs> they've been stored up Melissa you do enough they're just they build in you <laughs> like congealed arteries and you just have to explode them uh, yeah, it's very, very easy. In fact, I, I don't know why I can and can't say on this show, but I, I got a No, you can say, by the way, you can say whatever you want. I'm like, you know, in my family, you got more in trouble for, you know, not fucking cursing yeah. rather than fucking cursing. I think I was two scenes into the pilot of this when they'd sent it and offered it. And I was reading it. I think I was two scenes in when the, the young preacher turns to me and says, Mr. Garvey, you must repent. God wants you, and before he can go on, I say, "Fuck your God." Ooh. Okay, well, I'm I'm in. So I, <laughs> okay, I said, "I need read no more." Side, so, yeah, he's that kind of a guy, and so which is great because you you're supposed to hate him. He's supposed to be dangerous and uh, and not lovable, so that we can we can uh, build to what we're building to. Yes, but this is the fifth season, and the whole anthology, it, this season actually upends, in my opinion, the horror genre in a lot of ways. Were you a fan of traditional horror? Well, for me growing up, traditional horror was, you know, the Universal Pictures and, you know, Frankenstein and Dracula and stuff. So this, I mean, probably the last horror film that I was really into, you know, like The Exorcist and The Shining. I haven't stayed with the genre as it's grown. I just read an article the other day about how how huge it is now for young people, that it is beloved and it is sophisticated. And, it's and you know, of course, with Scream all those years ago, a humor came into it. It was always a pretty humorless genre. And now I think on a show like ours, we, we really mix all that up. It's new to me. I was not, this was not my world. And 
to to see some of I saw when the show started, I, I started to look for reviews. And of course, all the reviews are from uh, gore heavy, genre heavy um, writers because they love it. They're familiar with all four of the previous seasons and they have a lot of expectations. So we had a lot to live up to. There is a lot you brought up gore. There's a lot of, you know, blood and skin and fingernails. Um do you ever walk on, did you ever walk on set and go, oh God, that looks too real? Or have you, do you pick the things up and play with them and then put them down? <laughs> None of the, uh, there's a lot of gore going on that has nothing to do with me. Uh, yes. I, I'm actually one of many characters that is kind of threatened by this, this mysterious uh, killer called the widow. It's possible it's me, but <laughs> I think by this point, or six episodes in now, I think that, uh, I think we know it's probably but who is it? We don't know. So I had this one scene, I think it was in the third episode, um, where I basically kill my henchman and I cut off his ear and in, in a in a barn with goats. And <laughs> I had so much fun and the and the ear had a special thing in it, but it was gonna spurt blood, and I had to <laughs> knife just so and I had to stay on this really intense shit. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I kind of got it. And then once I had the, the year in my hand, then it's hard not to, because I had to then throw it and feed it to the goats. Yeah, it's hard not to pick those. I just, I just, I was just reading a story, and I forgot it was two major actors, and they were in a big war scene, and they were between takes, they were joking around because there are all these dead bodies and stomping on the hands, and apparently. One of them actually stomped on an extra. Oh God! And the guy's like, ah! "Oh God, that would yeah." I hope that was a number of years ago, because right nowadays that would not go. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was it was a long a long time ago. Um, so River takes place in Toronto yeah. in the Victorian era. Um, news of Jack the Ripper has made its way across the Atlantic. Right. Your wrap your character's wrapped up in a bizarre murders being investigated. So you, Eric, are from Toronto. What was it like being on set in your hometown being recreated? I mean, I guess what I'm really trying to ask is, did you ever have the urge to go over and like hang a sign just as a joke that says future home of Tim Hortons? <laughs> I mean, I love Munchkin, by the way. You love what, Munchkin? I love the Tim Horton, the little... Aren't they munchkins? Um, uh, Tim bits, I think, but maybe they're Tim bits. Yeah. How can you not? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I love I, I I left Toronto thirty years ago for Vancouver, and then Vancouver to LA. So I I haven't lived in my hometown in a long time. But when I get back there for work, I just love it. Both my my brother and sister live downtown, so I always stay right in the center of town so I can see them and. And to think, you know, when people hear Victorian Toronto, it probably doesn't mean anything to them. But I mean, Toronto is, is almost as old a, a city as uh, as New York, or, or mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of it's the first big cosmopolitan city, and and a lot of the buildings there kind of look like um, like downtown New York or or Harvard or someplace. So it's there is the, the Toronto was expanding so much uh, in in nineteen hundred, and my grandparents. Uh, would have been a part of all that, so it it really was cool to to not just be you know it, it's okay it's 120 years ago but it's 120 years ago in this city gr- I grew up in in my parents' 
city, which I think a lot of a lot of people don't even know, even people that live in Toronto don't realize um, how flourishing and cosmopolitan it was back in the day. This episode is sponsored by Via Hemp. Ah, yes, summer, longer days, warmer nights, and the incessant chirping of crickets, reminding you that sleep is a precious commodity. Whether you need to set the mood in the bedroom or just unwind after a day battling the sun, Vaya has your back. Enter their Rest and Recovery Gummies, a magical concoction of passion flower, L-theanine, and cannabinoids designed to lull you into a state of blissful tranquility. With options for both the THC tolerant and the THC shy, Vaya ensures you'll find your perfect dosage for achieving peak comfort. Vaya isn't just about taming the sleep monsters. They've got a whole array of gummies to cater to every whim and fancy with or without THC. And... They'll discreetly ship their goodies straight to your doorstep, no matter which of the 50 states you call home. Just sit back, relax, and let Vaya work its magic. So, if you're 21 plus, you can get 15% off a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code GROUPTEXT to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's ViaHemp.com. V-I-I-A. H-E-M-P dot com. So I have tried their Zen gummies and I got to tell you, they are amazing. I live in a very sort of continual stressed out state from work to being a mom to, well, just life in general. And the Zen gummies have been amazing for me. Head to viahemp.com and use the code GROUPTEXT to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies, 21+. plus. That's viahemp.com, V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. And use the code GROUPTEXT at checkout. Enhance your everyday with Viahemp. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, you know, in in another sort of strange departure from traditional horror, the show allows violence, women on women, women on men. Um, it's got to it, it, portraying that kind of violence. It's got to be hard to convince, and I guess this is more from the writer's point of view, the network to feel comfortable with that. Well, you know, we've gotten to a point now. I, I, you and I grow up at a time when. You had to, you had to use double entendres to get the network to agree to a joke, or or you couldn't, so you couldn't show that. You had to hint at. And nowadays, uh, you know, streaming networks in particular, they want buttons pushed. They need, they need that that new audience that uh, doesn't want their their parents' TV. So I, I think in this case, um, uh, Ian and Aaron, who who write the show, were given sort of a carte blanche: just go, go, surprise us, shock. Even the uh, even the full time fans shock them, which is which is kind of amazing. I want to add too that one of the th- this isn't just about violence and gore. The heart of it 
there's, at least from my character, he falls in love with the woman. Now, she happens to be 40 years younger than he does, and he basically buys her as a bride. So he's he's still a horrible asshole. But it was interesting to play a guy that was so heartless and yet found, is is finding redemption as, as the if the audience has been watching up till this point. It, there are some really amazing scenes that we got to play. And this uh, young actress, Sadie Laflamme Snow, who's been uh, sort of breaking out on a on a show called The Way Home, she's amazing. And and the, sort of the combination of terror and slowly falling for this some father figure, those scenes are really interesting. And some of the most uh, uh, the most fun I've had to play in all, all all these years because they're they're dark and and they're surprising. But that's the kind of dynamic that is portrayed through the series that makes it a hit and gets it to its fifth season. You know, it's those kinds of interpersonal story development, all those kinds of things that allow everything else. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, it's, uh, it, there's a sophistication that has come with, uh, with horror over the last few years where you, it's not enough just to sort of Blumhouse it and show, you know, um, arms and legs falling out you have to be invested in these characters and the great thing about this particular show it's essentially a mystery i mean it's it's like a good old-fashioned agatha christie mystery if agatha christie was hacking people in half but but you really <laughs> people really i'd be surprised if anyone i'm sorry that is one of the best lines i've heard it would be that could say it's like agatha christie if she had a chainsaw yes exactly <laughs> right. um so I mean, at this point, I think it's still uh, quite a mystery. If you're if you're just catching up, you'll you still won't you still won't know who the widow is. <laughs> um, it, again, what I found fascinating or find fascinating is that it's really and I mentioned that earlier turned the genre a little bit upside down. I mean, with Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, she introduces to the quote unquote virgin savior, um, which is a formula that a lot of things still rely on where Ripper is so plain spoken. I mean, the characters use, like we talked about profanity, the class, the cast is unflinchingly diverse. Yeah. I, this feels to me like it really does help break the traditional genre. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, and again, I'm not an expert on the, the growth of it over the last 30, 40 years. Eric, why aren't you? Didn't you know? <laughs> I, I no excuse, Melissa. But um, but yeah, there it, it did go from just all these innocent people being killed and chased by some mysterious. No one in this is innocent, with the exception possibly of that young of the my young bride. Everybody else are people that might have this coming, and we discover why. We discover what happened uh, years ago that has led them all to be uh, in the uh, crosshairs of this of this killer. And so it just makes it more complicated. And just the fact that you can be darkly funny uh, is so great. It does not take itself too seriously. Uh, and and But as, as you mentioned, which I think is so important, it, the diversity of this cast, um, and it's, it's, we've got to a point where it's unapologetic. You don't have to say, well, I know that maybe that character at that time would be like, no, here, this is the, this is the world. This is, this is how the world is. We're presenting it. And, uh, it's great. It was really, it was really great to see how how much effort they put into to making it diverse, surprising, um, diverse in a gender way. I mean, it's 
That's great. Well, speaking of that, you tend to find yourself in these kinds of shows that are hits. Speaking of diverse, um, Will and Grace. I, I looked back and I realized when it premiered, I got this written down. It would seem to be the heyday of these brilliant ensembles. You had Frasier, Third Rock from the Sun, Friends, Everybody Loves Raymond, all at the same time. So I, I got to ask, did you, I mean, that was sort of the heyday of these wonderful ensembles. And I always like to ask, did you feel the chemistry from episode one, season one, table read? Um, the, I'm trying to remember the first table read, but certainly by the time we shot the pilot a week later, yes. Um, particularly Messing and I knew that we had something. We just knew that, okay, this is, I guess this is the, what they call the chemistry. Um, you know, I was 35 when we shot it. So I'd been around, I, I was very aware of all the shows you just mentioned, desperately wanted to be a part of something like that. I wanted my Seinfeld. I wanted my friends and, uh, and this felt like it from the beginning. And, and to think within a few episodes, the four of us were finishing each other's sentences, certainly on screen. We understood each other comedically and we really made each other laugh which was which was huge it, the year you won your emmy I, I dug deep on this one your no, fellow nominees do you ever think back on this kelsey Grammer, john lithgow frankie muniz and ray romano now if that ain't a rogues gallery of uh comedy i'm not quite sure what is did you ever think when you were starting out or when you started the show that your name would be mentioned with these comedic heavyweight let alone beat them in a in a in a popular not a popularity contest but for the quality of your work well a um no <laughs> b sort of because I, that's all i dreamed of I, I didn't dream necessarily of an emmy but i dreamed of a time when people that i respected would respect me uh back and so that was that was really huge and also i learned that was around the time i learned that it's not just a popularity contest, but in fact, you are judged by the very specific episode that you submit. And I remember, so it doesn't mean, so if uh, Kelsey Grammer has just a brilliant episode every year, as he always did, it was very easy to win two, three, four times in a row, uh, or Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Um, in the case of, of Will and Grace, when, when we started, I thought to myself in season one, if we ever do a flashback to when Will came out, That'll be Miami. And it was. So it's uh, it's just one of those things where the material can take what you're already doing and just sort of cement something. And that was writing. Jeff Greenstein wrote that episode and it was brilliant. Uh, you brought that up. The, the, Will, the character of Will was an anomaly at the time. Um, it was the first that I can remember realistic portrayal of what a lot of gay men are like. And it was no way a caricature when you were first doing, did you realize that it was groundbreaking or if you let your mind go there, would you, I would think that would be an overwhelming thought in putting pressure on yourself about the the importance of the character and then go and be funny. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was a piece of timing where it was, we were just in my mind anyway, we were past that moment of, if you play a gay character, you'll ruin your career. And we were just before that period of time where it's like 
to play a gay character, you have to be gay. I kind of was able to just slot in and 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 um, be an advocate and be the best sort of version of of Will Truman that I could. And luckily, it was it was uh, helpful. I mean, we're just trying to be funny, but it it was helpful to a lot of people, particularly a lot of young men that. Uh, uh, have come up to me over the years, and they're not young anymore. They just say, when I was young, I would watch this with my mother. But now, because we're all on streaming sh- uh, services, now I'm getting young men again coming up saying, thank you for this character. And I'm like, wow, that's it's a sitcom. You know, it's not, supp- <laughs> it's not supposed to help mankind. Uh, it's kind of amazing that it had any kind of wonderful repercussions. It, there was backlash at the time. There was a little, but I think, you know, we were we were gentle with it at first. Certainly the network was gentle in how they promoted it, you know, perhaps to a fault. That first season was like, uh, it's about two best friends, you know, and that. But when, I, you know, so Sean Hayes and I have been, have started a, uh, a Will and Grace rewatch podcast, which we will be launching in June. We've recorded about, we're just going to go through all the episodes. We've done the first eight or so at this point. And it is amazing to go back, which I've done a lot. Sean hasn't, Sean has really not watched the show. So for him, it's a voyage of discovery rather than rediscovery. And and we were, we were unapologetic. I mean, the, this, the banter, particularly between Jack and Will, was two gay men being bitchy at each other and funny with each other and loving with each other and it's it from the from the start so I, i'm proud to think that even though in my mind we maybe soft soaked it a bit we were pretty we were pretty out there from the beginning it, it's it would just anyone who hasn't gone back and watched the whole thing on streaming is is done um in my personal opinion because i've gone back and i went back after my son left for college and re-watched a lot of my favorite series from Ooh, yeah. the first season because yeah. yeah. it was like comfort food for me and I knew I would laugh. Exactly. And and certainly, you know, between COVID and, and kids going off to college, yeah, suddenly we've got a lot of time to rediscover. I was so bad. I slept in my son's room for like two weeks. I couldn't cope with his room being empty, but that's for my therapist, not for you. Um, you had a, a cavalcade of guest stars. Yeah. Who, and I don't mean to like think on this, but I am. Who were you, because I'm trying to figure out how to say this. Who were you so excited to work with that you were actually speechless? I remember the interviews on the red carpet that I did where someone just, like I lost the ability to think and speak at the same time. Um, there was a few of those. Uh, 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 Gene Wilder, for sure. Um I would say Elton John, except by the time Elton was on the show, I had known him a bit. But certainly the first time I met Elton, I was I was pretty speechless. Um, the one that always comes to mind, because in many ways he was the first big name we had on the show, and he played my father, was uh, Sidney Pollack. Oh. And Sidney, um, because of Tootsie in particular, uh, was a huge hero for me. And, um, and, I, and it was so early on in the run that we weren't, we hadn't gotten sort of used to another guest star this week so that one i remember really floored me and the first episode we had was a bit emotional one where he sort of admits that uh even though he's been acting uh okay with it his whole uh, ever since i came out 
he really hasn't been any sort of lying to people at work that Grace was my wife. And and we had this incredibly emotional scene in in a men's bathroom in a uh, in New York, and it's it just floored me that I got to do that with uh, with him. That one really sticks with me. God, he was brilliant. Brilliant at everything he touched. Um, you were, speaking of brilliant, you were on some incredible shows across the board. You know, Ally McBeal, Law and Order, New Adventures of Old Christine, which was a big show for you. Travelers, I could go on and on and on. Is there one show that you looked at that you never got to be on or that one that you passed and said, why did I do that? That's interesting. Um I don't think I don't really have a story of one I passed on. There were certainly ones I wish I'd done. I wish I'd had an ep- an episode of Seinfeld. You know the right. way Deborah does, or or you know Brian Cranston does. We that it's just because those characters for that few years there, whatever you played on Seinfeld became iconic the next day. They they everyone would quote. I'm working with Jason Alexander right now, and we're and I just I was just marbling at ninety one, ninety two, ninety three. The next day, it was that was the sort of the the water cooler show of all time. Somebody, often George, would have said something <laughs> that would you know, for the rest of history. You know, we we keep saying, you know, I was in the pool or whatever it was, and uh, and I wish I'd done a Seinfeld. There was a time when there was some such giant. If you did one episode of ER or or something like that, you'd be seen by. 28 million people or something. Um, so I, I guess I, I kind of, I, I wish that you know, back in, back in the day. Wait, wait, I, I'm just thinking out loud. So I'm sorry if I'm sounding a uh, uh, thing, cause my notes have gone out the window. Um, cause we're going down different paths uh, with, with Ripper, you've discovered a whole new legion of fans. And I always find this interesting, especially with people with my mom. They don't know the his- history. They only know her from the red carpets and fashion police. You've now got a whole legion of fans that don't know Will and Grace. Yeah, probably. And, uh, you know, the, the big one for me for that was Travelers, which uh, I was a producer on. Then we did that from uh, 2016 to 18 for Netflix. And it's still there. And I still encourage people to see it because it is so different than anything I'd ever done. And I'm very still and very serious in it. Um, and it's a great young cast of, uh, of really good actors. And that was, that brought in new people that were like, wait a minute, you're the guy from the sitcom and this one will do the same thing. I imagine. So it's my favorite thing. I have never, never believed in staying in my lane when it comes to being an actor at all. I'm, I'm, about to go back to Broadway and do a do a very silly English comedy, and I'm I can't wait. Somebody will say, "Why did why why are you guys all doing accents? Why did these hire English people?" No, no, no. This is why I got into this business to put on disguises, to put on noses and hats. This is what we do, and uh, I, I I will always love the possibility that maybe today someone will go, "Huh, I didn't think he could do that." I I, you, I read somewhere that you said, you know it's a tragedy that the world never got to see my Hamlet because you did a lot of Shakespeare. I, I did a lot. I never did Hamlet. And I think it's a tragedy. That no one, uh, a lot of my, a lot of my Shakespeare back then. Gentleman too. In, old well. So I, you know, the, the, no, there's no tragedy that I, that I 
wish people had no it was such a funny quote because you were so obviously being silly and i was just like i oh it's no one's gonna get to see my hamlet the world has been just denied something i and and so back when i was doing shakespeare with people a little a little and a lot older than me there was this you've very much a belief that everyone would one day give their Hamlet or give their Lear. And for me, it was the opposite. I, at the end of five seasons, I went, I think I'm, I think I'm not a Shakespeare guy. I think I'm meant to be a, on the sitcom. So. <laughs> Only five years for the realization. Yeah. Uh, and because it's so intense and it's, so, it is such a, I mean, I so admired anyone that, uh, that does it brilliantly, but I, I just, for me, I thought uh, there's a different path I think for me and uh, and there was so thankfully but you brought up again you're working with jason alexander which is so fun you're going back to broadway um you were in one of the revivals of music man yes and it was 2001 did you go to see hugh jackman and sit in the audience like i did it better because <laughs> you also got to sing it at the hollywood bowl with Kristen Chen with uh, at the bowl, yeah. Um, That's not too much pressure. Uh, you know what? It was. It was meaning being on stage with Kristen. Yeah, uh, that that was that was one night only. Uh, Seventeen thousand people at Hollywood Bowl. Oh. Uh. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't seen Hughes. So I and and Hugh. The one time I met Hugh, he was the loveliest of all men. So yes. I I don't I, um I would not be dismissive should I see it, but no, it was um. It was just a very special point. I was thinking it was a, a 38. Will and Grace been on for a few years. I was given an opportunity to sort of be considered for another to take over a role in, I think it was Susical. And I just, I happened to read that uh, Craig Bierko was leaving the music man. And I just said, I want to, I, I want to be considered for that. And I just, I'll always be so pleased with myself that I just, I had just enough balls to sort of thrust myself into that situation and I auditioned for Susan Stroman and and got it and did four months between seasons of, of Will and Grace and it was just joyous it was just joyous I don't know that I I mean that's I, I hats off to Hugh doing H doing that role eight shows a week is uh is a lot but when I was a little younger it was it was fantastic yeah he's he's amazing and lovely and everything you just said um you and Sean are going to be on Broadway at the same time. It looks like we're going to be on Broadway. We're going to be on Forty Fourth Street at the same time. We are going to be half a block from each other, <laughs> doing these two different shows. By the way, uh, I saw his show last year in Chicago. It's fantastic. Uh, so come to New York. And yes, and by the way, and ticket sales for his show is at Oscar are through the roof. It's it's a great show. Uh, he's great in it. And uh, and while you're there, come and see the cottage right next door. Exactly. Uh, well, little Jack. Uh, it's got to be fun working with Jason, who I know, who is hilarious. He's hilarious, and he's a great actor. And uh, and he directed me actually um, twelve years ago in a production of The Fantastics here in L.A. So this is my second time with him uh, in the director's chair. And but this is such an outrageous, fun comedy. With a lot of invention, a lot of physical, a lot of physical stuff to come up with. So I'm really looking forward to seeing him on fire in that department, just coming up with crazy, hilarious shit. Well, I can't wait to see it. Um, last question for you. 
because I would say, what are you doing next? But we know. There is one thing I want to mention just because it's happening right now is that I have a, a podcast with uh, Stephen Weber where we just sit down with other actors and yak uh, called Eating Out with Eric and Steve. And uh, I wanted to just drop that. And that is what I'm doing a lot at the moment. So uh, uh, in addition to watching Slasher, look out for that where podcasts are. Everywhere podcasts are. And you have the one with Sean. And Sean is coming up in June. Yes. Right. Um, so the last question, who, have, who do you want to work with that you haven't gotten to work with yet? Um, well, any, so many answers to that question. I think there's a part of me that, that is always, I wouldn't say careful what I wish for, but careful not to wish too big. Like just, you know, that, um, that I just want to, uh, I just want to let it happen and not have uh, tremendous expectations. I'm a fan of. God, almost everybody. Um, so I, I don't have an easy. Well, I, I let's put, let's put it this way. Here's my easy answer. Thirty years ago, okay. Woody Allen. I'm not allowed to say that anymore. So I, I, I so now I don't have an easy answer. But um, any, you know, I would love to work with Spielberg and Scorsese and and all the great ones. But uh, you get to a certain age and you think, what will be knowing who I am and who I've been and how, and, and how I'm perceived, what would ever be the role that would lead to that? And so that's why I, tri- I, I don't dream about it. I just think maybe it'll happen. Who knows? Maybe it. 68. I'm subtly right for, uh, for uh, Steven Spielberg's next spell. How very positive and Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got eating out. Is that correct? Eating out with Eric and Steve. Eric and Steve. We have you and Sean doing the uh, Will and Grace Watch podcast. Oh, yeah. well, just we, Jack and Will. Jack and Will. Uh, we have you coming up on Broadway on July 7th in the cottage. And once again, you can catch Eric McCormick in Slasher Ripper. New episodes every Thursday on AMC Plus and streaming on Shutter. It's always so good to see you. Great to see you, Melissa. This was so much fun. Thank you. A Media Production.